Well, let me try it again. Good morning, everybody. You guys just looking like, okay, is he really up there? Good morning. Okay, I know some folks are still uh, getting refreshments this morning, but let me make a couple of announcements before we get started. We're just going to jump into this. We do have some assistant listening devices if you prefer to listen in Spanish. Uh, we have an opportunity, we have headphones and a device for you so that you can do that. Uh, please pick them up at that table over there. And the first thing that I want to say is you just don't know how excited I am to have this opportunity to for life and storyline to come together. I want you just for a minute, I'm getting off script, but I cannot help myself, I'm just like that sometimes. Uh, just for a second, if you guys look around and look who is represented today. Look who is represented. And, and, and we have people, somebody actually, fan. Uh, if you were born in the United States, raise your hand. Okay, that's cool. Now put your hand down. If you were not born in the United States, raise your hand. Okay, now if you look around, you're going to see hands go up as well. And here's another thing. If you look at black and white coming together, if you look at Hispanic, black, white, African, people from Africa here, all over the place, I feel as if this is more representative of what church should be. This is who we are. You know, we do bleed red, right? When we have an opportunity to come together, we ought to just thank God for that opportunity. You guys move your way back to the chairs, if you will, and we're about to get started right now. Pastor Charles and I are doing what I call a term of gospel tag team. Now, he, he will call it co-preaching, but you know, when he comes up here, I'm going to make sure he puts his hand up, and we're going to tag him in like that. And so when that happens, you guys don't get freaked out. We're just, we're doing this together. Because again, that's how I feel it should be. Now, you guys have heard this morning already through the New Testament reading about some ladies and about Peter, the apostle. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. The 24th chapter of Luke is a story of inspiration to all who believe. It's a story that looks at the lost, it looks at the persecuted, and the, and the oppressed, and encourages them to not give up. The 24th chapter of Luke is a story of those that felt as if they had lost their way, they had lost their vision, and maybe even lost their purpose. And see, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody in here already. Has anybody ever felt as if I just don't know how I'm going to make it another day? It's a story that takes those that are unsure, uncertain, and in many ways powerless, and gives them, this is the part that I like, clarity. It gives them certainty. And it also gives them empowerment to do what? To go. Do you know people that have just lost all hope? Do you know people that are just unsure? Isn't it good to hear a story that gives them purpose once again? Luke 24 is the story that shows through the grace of God, our faith in the resurrected Christ, and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, that there is hope for the hopeless, that there is sight for the blind, and a renewed passion for believing people to go at it again. And oh, I'm telling you, I just can't wait to tell you all about it. And in doing so, y'all are not just going to sit there and look at me. This is going to be interactive. 
Now, I know some of you may not be used to all the music, the standing up, the clapping your hands, but this is my part in which we're going to make sure that we're loud, we're proud, and the community knows that we're here. I don't know the next time that everybody in this place will have an opportunity to come together and to worship God together. Tomorrow is not promised, so I promise that I give it my all today. And in doing so, I want to start by asking you to consider the prefix. Consider the prefix. You know what a prefix is. If you add a prefix to any word, it has the effect of changing the meaning of that word. Okay, let me help you guys, since I don't know if you're quite feeling me. Move. Take the word move. Okay. If somebody's in your seat, and you know it's your seat, and you want them to move, if you add a prefix to it, I think it may work. The prefix is re. Re. Move, okay? Uh, remove, right? Move, remove. It was there, and then I moved it, re, again, out of the way, right? Okay, maybe you didn't get that one. What about focus? You're studying for an exam. You're in the middle of a work project, and somebody keeps coming in. They don't even knock on the door. They just walk in and barge in. And you were so focused, you were so intent on what you were doing, and all of a sudden you lost focus. Well, add a prefix to it, and do what? Re-focus. Oh, y'all are getting this. This is a smart crowd. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, maybe that didn't work. Let me try this word, game. Game. Oh, you fell in love. Oh, oh, some people are smiling because I guess you fell in love. But at some point, they disappointed you. And you looked them dead in the eye and told them that if you're ever going to get my trust back, you're going to have to what? Read. Oh my God, I was <coughs> This last one is personal. This last one is personal. It is the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, see, y'all already laughing because I think you may know what I'm about to say. It's the day after Thanksgiving. And I go to the bathroom, it's personal, I look in the mirror, and I realize that I got a gift. I call it a gift that it was, because it wasn't there before. It's called a new stomach. If y'all can't laugh, I think y'all are talking about me. It's called a new stomach. Okay, and then it seems as if between Thanksgiving and Christmas, everybody wants to have a holiday party, right? Everybody does. And if there's no other gift that you get at holiday parties, it's going to be food. Therefore, every time I go to a party, I get more new stomachs. Okay. So now what happens? It is December 31st. It is December 31st, and I'm so happy because now I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I think you missed it. I'm going to read solution. Come up with a solution to all these new summits that I gave. I'm going to resolve. I'm going to re-solve the problem of all these new summits. It, it, it's read. Meaning again. But seriously, folks, or should I say but spiritually, folks.
Sometimes the prefix re, meaning again, can be the most important thing you and I can ever do in getting your hope back. Sometimes it's the most important thing that you can ever do in getting your vision clear. And getting up and determining not to be stopped. Everyone said with me, read. Remember it means again. So we want you to see it in our text. So here we are about three days after Christ's death. And the first 12 verses, which you've already heard earlier of the 24th chapter of Luke, tell us about a group of women. And there's something special about these women that you'd have to read chapter 23 and the other gospel accounts to fully understand. These women were at the cross, and if I smile, I don't mean to be insensitive, but I know how the story ends, but these women were at the cross, and they saw Jesus' hands nailed. They were there to see his feet stayed. They were there to see him take his last breath. They were there to see a spear go into his side. And I told you I'm smiling because it's not a sad occasion when you know the end. But they were there to see him put into a tomb. These women were there so they saw the stone roll in front of the tomb and it was sealed because they wanted to make sure no one could get in. So with all of that going on, if these women didn't know anything else, if they knew Jesus was dead, if they didn't know anything else, they knew that he wasn't alive. So now as I go into our text, I want you to think about two things, their mood and their mind. There are two things I want you to be with me on. What are they thinking? If it were you, having seen all of that, what would you be feeling? Three days after all they had experienced, our text says that they were going to a tomb to take spices to perform the final burial ritual. The one that they call teacher, the one that they put their hope in, the one that they saw perform miracles and teach like no one else, surely he was dead. He spared their mood. There was sadness. There was grief. Consider their mood. I can imagine that tears were flowing. Now in the next movement, I want you to do what? Consider their mind. When they got to the tomb, to their surprise, the tomb was empty. Y'all didn't get it. They knew he was dead. But when they got to the tomb, to their surprise, the tomb was empty. You're not feeling me. Why? Because if you really felt me, you would understand that's one of those mouth wide open, eyes wide open, and one of those shallow screams. Like, where is he? They went to the tomb. He wasn't in there. And I don't know about you, but if it were me, I just put my loved one in the tomb and I went to plant flowers. And I went and he wasn't there. I mean, oh my God. Okay. But what you got to understand is that it gets better. Because if you consider all the gospel accounts, two angels just showed up. Now, first of all, their mouth was already open. Their eyes were already wide. They were already 
wondering, where is he? And then an angel shows up. And during the whole scenario, you had angels sitting on the top of a tombstone. Uh, you had him sitting uh, next to the clothes that Jesus was wearing in the tomb. You had an angel waiting there. And here's the thing. They had on the whitest clothes that you have to understand about clothes at this time. First, first century Jerusalem, you did not have dazzling white clothes. What would you be thinking if somebody just showed up? Now, first of all, where is my loved one? Second of all, what would you be feeling if somebody just appeared next to you? Uh-huh. And then, oh, what? You've never seen anything so dazzling and so bright in your life. What would you be thinking? Listen. Our text says that they were terrified. You know terror can just make you scream. You ever been really scared and you just let out this loud scream? Terror can also make you ugly cry. You know, don't act like you don't know what ugly cry is. Should I have somebody demonstrate? You know that cry when everything is tight in your face? You just, you know that cry. That's what terror can do. Terror can also, here's the third thing, can make you drop down and just think you're dead. If you're, don't hurt yourself, please. Terror almost made him drop down and think he was, okay, listen. So which one do you think they did? Here are these women. They saw all that they saw. What do you think they did? Do you think they just screamed? Do you think there was just this other crap going on? The text says that they dropped to their knees and hid their face. Sometimes you get so scared to where you're just in love with you. You know that cry. Pay attention to their mood and their mind. Then the angels begin to speak. Remember, I told you now, we're dealing with the prefix re. The angels begin to speak. And the first asked this question. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And then what the angel said next is the thing that shifted their mood of sadness. What the angel said next is the thing that shifted their terrified minds. What the angel said next began to shift their mind of terror. What the angel said next began to twerk, turn grief into glee. The angel said, read, oh God, remember. Remember how he spoke when he said he was still alive. Remember. Remember how he said that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful man? The angel said, remember. Remember that he said he would be crucified. Remember. Remember that he said that he would rise again. And see, here's the thing about remembering. What do you do? Verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. And as they remembered, they lifted up their heads. And as they remembered, they stood to their feet. And as they remembered, they ran to tell his disciples that Jesus is alive. 
And see, I'm trying to get somebody to just remember what he's already done for you when you've lost hope. I'm trying to get somebody to remember that when you think that all is gone, all is hopeless, that he said, remember, if I did it for you before, I'm still the same God. I can do it for you again. What do you do when you're in mourning? What do you do when you're in tears that are so heavy? What do you do when your mind is racing? What do you do when your situation terrifies you? Remember all the promises that he's already made. Remember all that he's already given you and your family. And if you can't remember, just ask somebody that knows him. Remembering who he is. And what he said can shift your mood. And it can shift your mind. Can I drive down somebody's street right now? Can I pull into your driveway? Can I knock on your front door? If there's anybody in this place right now that is going through something that they don't think they can handle, please ask yourself, how did I make it this far? And it ought to make you remember what he's already done for you. What's interesting about our text is that those that didn't believe it, see, women during the first century Jerusalem were underappreciated. It was found that often their words were not highly regarded. But isn't it interesting that God first reveals the resurrection of Jesus to women? Women, you know how it is when society doesn't give you the credit that you're due. You know how it is when people underestimate you. You know how it is when others take credit for holding it together, but you know that you're really the glue. Oh yeah, I'm a frustrated rapper just in case y'all didn't know it. Although you may be underappreciated, although, just speak the truth, although you may be underestimated, still do what is right. Although you may be disadvantaged, remember who he is and what he's done and just follow him. Our next transition, our text transitions now to two people on the road going into a city called Emmaus. As they were traveling, they were talking about all the things that took place. They were talking about Jesus. Can you imagine now? He had just gotten up. These women had seen what they seen, heard what they heard. They were running to tell the disciples. The disciples didn't believe them. Peter ran and told, let me go and see for myself. And then it shifts to two people walking. These are called disciples. What happened is they were traveling. They were talking about all the things that took place with Jesus while they were talking. Guess who walks up? Jesus. And our text says that they were prevented from knowing that it was him. The Gospel of John says that one of the people looked at him and just didn't know. Hold on to that. Jesus walked up and they saw him. But they didn't know that it was him. And Jesus started being nosy. Started being nosy. I guess he can do that because he is God. Just a little aside. God is always eavesdropping. He's always ear hustling. Tell me how to say nosy in Spanish because I want to make sure it fits. He's always listening in. So Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And the one named Cleopas said, Are you the only one in the city that doesn't know what's been going on? 
And the next thing that Jesus says is, what things? It's like Jesus just says, oh, what are you talking about? Jesus is saying that. Don't you know what's going on with Jesus? And Jesus said, well, tell me more. And they're sad. Jesus is wrong. They said he's messing with them. But anyway, they said his name was Jesus. And he was from Nazareth. They knew him. They knew where he was from, but they didn't know that he was with them. They knew his name. They knew what he was all about, but they did not know that he was with them. They said he was a prophet, mighty in deeds, and, and also in words. They knew what he had done and what he had said, but they didn't know that he was with them. They said that he was sentenced to death and crucified. They heard about the women who went to the tomb and couldn't find his body. They heard that the angel said he was alive. Do you know anybody like them that they knew everything that had happened to him but didn't know that he was with them? See, if it's, it's as if our text in many details makes clear that they knew about it. But without proper understanding, they were still blind with 2020 vision. There are people, can I submit to someone in here, that there are many that know about him, but are still blind to who he really is. There are people that say, oh, I know that Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, but do they really know that he's with them? And it's at this point when I shut up and I tag you in. Got a mic? This one? This one? Let's make sure it's on. Both of them? Can I come in? All right. You got two things going for you. Number one, you got the Easter story, which is like the best story I'm going to preach. Number two, you got two preachers preaching the Easter story. So, I mean, we could be here who knows how long, right? Just kidding. I only got five minutes, so here I go. This amazing story, and I haven't told you this, so give me here. It reminds me of my wife, Jill. She's one of the funniest people that I know. Whenever there's a situation that is dramatic, Tense or right for action. Uh, it could be a TV show we're watching. It could be a, a social encounter that she's a part of that she's recounting. She brings out her imaginary popcorn. You know what I'm about to happen? Oh, this is real. Oh, you actually got some actual popcorn. Oh, and he's watching. He has a real popcorn. But what's about to happen? What's about to happen in this situation? This story at Emmaus really makes me want to bring out my imaginary popcorn. Because there's so much irony in what's happening. Jesus shows up and these two disciples ask Jesus, the one to whom all this stuff has just happened, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Does he Please tell me more. Tell me 
they said, you don't live in our group. They astounded us and they went to the tomb and they found there wasn't a body there. What do you think? He's sitting right there in front of you. I mean, what's Jesus going to say? How's Jesus going to respond? And Jesus says to them, they don't know. This is Jesus says, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then Jesus takes them to scripture school to teach them about himself. To be fair to these two disciples, I'm not sure most of us would have gotten it either. Jesus was exploding their worldview and categories. People don't just come back from the dead like ever. And even more than that, the way that God works is so counterintuitive. It's so upside down to what we're used to. Jesus had to suffer. It was a necessary part of the plan. But these disciples were blind to that. They couldn't see God's purposes in suffering. They had lost hope because suffering and death didn't seem compatible with redemption. Now I wonder, isn't that sometimes true for us? We lose hope because the suffering and struggle and death around us seem insurmountable when in fact God can and does work through those very things to achieve God's purposes in our lives. We can be blind to what God is doing right under our noses because it doesn't fit our expectations for how we think God should work. When the disciples and Jesus finally get to Emmaus, they stop for a meal. And they still don't know this is Jesus. And then Jesus does something he done many times before. He did it when he fed the crowds. He did it at the Last Supper. He serves a meal. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it. And he gives it to them. And in that moment, it clicks. They realize it's Jesus. This is Jesus. Their eyes were open, the text says, to see their risen Lord who'd been in front of them. They recognize Jesus. They recognize. They relearned, rethought who Jesus was. And it wasn't just that they saw Jesus with their physical eyes. It was also that they understood with their minds that Jesus had to suffer and die. Because that's how God works. Through self-giving love. And through suffering and sacrifice. And when Jesus vanished from their, their view, they said to each other, What are our hearts burning? Wasn't that what we were feeling when he was about the scriptures and about his plan and how he had to suffer and die. We were filled. We were getting to know how God works in the world. How fitting it was that they recognized who Jesus was while he was serving. While he was giving up himself for them, for their well-being. On Good Friday, 
uh, just a couple of days ago, Storyline had a simple Good Friday gathering at Flagpole Hill, not too far from here. And Ben, one of our Storyline partners, led our gathering. And he had us do this prayer exercise where we put three sheets of paper out on picnic tables. One said Dallas, one said the world, one said Storyline, and then the fourth table, he had these small pieces of paper on that fourth table. What Ben invited us to do was to write down prayers on each of those pieces of paper for ways that we sense death or fragmentation or suffering at work in each of those places in our world and now in the storyline. And those little cards were for ways we saw death and, and fragmentation and brokenness at work in ourselves, in our hearts. Uh, I saw I saw racism. I saw economic and racial segregation. I saw white supremacy on those pieces of paper. I saw broken relationships. I saw struggles with faith. I saw the names of people we love who had died in the last year. And it was overwhelming to see in invisible form the death and suffering and fragmentation on those pieces of paper. But after the exercise, Ben reminded us that if the crucifixion means anything, it means that God suffers with us. That God is present in the midst of death and fragmentation. And as I sat there and I, I had this Easter message in my heart and in my mind, something occurred to me. Good Friday helps us to see the suffering Christ in the midst of suffering and death. Easter Sunday helps us to see the risen Christ who is victorious over suffering and death. Because Jesus not only suffers with us on the cross, He defeats death and suffering through His resurrection. He is victorious over suffering and death at the empty tomb. Here's my question. Can we see the risen Christ in the midst of suffering and death? Can we recognize the risen Jesus at work in the point of pain in ourselves and in our city? Can we see? Can we recognize? Lord, give us eyes to see. Those two disciples rushed back to Jerusalem. And they told the rest of the disciples what had happened. And by this time, Peter had also had a revelation and an appearance from Jesus. And so they're all starting to believe that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might actually have come back from the dead. Though, in fairness, again, except for the women, they had gotten it for quite some time. Which something remains true to this day. Can I get it again? Yeah. So they got it, but the rest of them were having a hard time. John's Gospel tells us that the disciples had the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. They were huddled up and isolated, not only because they were in grief, but because they were afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them too. And, and all the more, because Jesus' body had disappeared, would, would the Jewish leaders blame him? For stealing Jesus' body and trying to arrest him 
and punish them. And so they're huddled up. They're locked up and isolated from the world, trying to make sense of these Jesus items. And then Jesus appears in their midst. Peace be with you. The disciples freak out. Just like the women earlier. They, they're startled. They're, they're terrified. How did you get in here? The door's open. The door's locked. Is this a ghost or what? They're terrified. Jesus responds to them just like he did when he was walking on the water to see Galilee. He says, don't be afraid. It's just me. And he does something really interesting. He says, touch me and see that I've got flesh and bones. I'm not a ghost. See the wounds in my hands and my feet. This is my actual body. And then he took it further. Y'all got something to eat? He said, I'm famished after all this crucifixion and resurrection business. Y'all have something to eat? So he gives some fish. And he takes the fish and he, he eats it. It doesn't fall onto the ground through his nose like it, it goes into his body. But he's an actual person risen from the dead. He actually ate it. This is a really important part of the story. Jesus actually was raised from the dead in flesh and blood. It's not a metaphor. It's a miracle. It's not a tall tale. It's the truth. One of the reasons it's significant is because it shows us that God cares about this world. God cares about these bodies. And not just the spiritual parts of us. The physical parts of us. The emotional parts of us. The psychological parts of us. He cares about all of us in the here and now. One of Life Church's ministry principles that I really appreciate is called holistic advancement. In other words, they care about the whole person. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially. The whole person. Because Jesus cared about the whole person. He healed people. He healed people's emotional and physical problems in addition to their spiritual problems. And Jesus' resurrection means we don't have to hold off until heaven to see resurrection and salvation. In the resurrection of Jesus, salvation breaks in to the present. We don't have to wait for salvation to start someday in the body by in heaven. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can have hope for new life right now. In the hearing now. After Jesus finished his filet fish sandwich, he taught the disciples just as he had taught those two disciples on the road, helping them to understand that he had to suffer and die and be raised again because that was God's plan in Scripture all along. But then he added something he hadn't yet shared. That repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed from on high. You see, Jesus' resurrection wasn't the end of the work. It was only the beginning. Jesus invited His disciples into the work of sharing the good news of forgiveness and resurrection with all nations. Jesus invites them from their isolation to engagement 
in the mission of God. In fact, Jesus invites them to re-engage. That's the third reword. Can y'all say that with me? Re-engage. To re-engage. Because they've helped Jesus before, and now they're helping Him again. And, and here, listen here. What was true for those first disciples is also true for those of us who follow Jesus today. We are invited to re-engage the mission of God in the world. We don't just get to receive forgiveness. We get to share with others. We don't just get to get healed. We get to help other people get healed too. We don't just get to witness resurrection ourselves. We get to help others see it too. There aren't any sidelines in the kingdom of God. Nobody has to sit on the bench. Everybody gets to play. Here's the best news of all. We aren't on our own. We don't have to live in this world by our own power. Because Jesus leaves us with the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power from on high. The Apostle Paul and and the basis of that song, Resurrection Power, that we sang earlier, comes from the Apostle Paul who says that that same resurrection power that was at work in Jesus is also at work within us through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God helps us to remember the promises of God. The Holy Spirit of God helps us to recognize Jesus' work in suffering and self-giving love. And the Holy Spirit helps us to re-engage the mission of God in the world with renewed passion as witnesses of the resurrection. Are y'all with me? Can I get an amen? Can I truly uh, capture your attention for a moment? There are many folks that need to get re-engaged. You need to get the fire back that you once had. Life truly has not many upside to the end of the time. And it has a bit of a thing. Right. That has made us grow up our hands and say, it's not working. Lord, you say you're real, but where are you when I really need you? Lord, you say you'll never leave me or forsake me, but why am I going through so much? For those of you that are in that place, remember. He saved your soul.
acknowledge what's on my mind. Believe with my heart. And you know what Peter did? This? You know what happened? More than 3,000 people came. What does it mean that they came? Well, there was a body of water nearby.
passage of Luke 24, the, the story of Emmaus, is the most important story of post-resurrection for me personally. And what I see in this particular story, as the two disciples, I think Cleopas and maybe his wife, are together as they go and they encounter Jesus. And as it says, her eyes were closed, as if someone forced to close. I don't know. There's a beautiful painting uh, by Nino Sareso that pictures Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and Cleopas with their eyes blindfolded. But the interesting thing is, is there's a, a balance to that story. It's in their statements where they said, were our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures? And then, of course, the opening of eyes. But there's a fulcrum there. And the fulcrum is Eucharist. It's the giving of thanks and the breaking of bread. That in the middle, balancing of the opening of scriptures, which we just had, and the opening of eyes, there is a communion that takes place as we break bread together and as we share. But what happens when you break bread and you praise God is when the eyes are open, you see Jesus. But I understand